Open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah today and also the book of Acts. The book of Isaiah and the book of Acts. Isaiah chapter 6. 1971 is a very precious day in my life. Precious year. 52 years ago on this day, celebration-wise, years ago, I became the pastor of our church. I think Brother Fred introduced me that Sunday. And uh, the years have come and gone over those years. And I'm grateful to God for His blessings. I was, I weighed 165 pounds. I was black-headed and had a lot of energy. And things have not changed. Uh, I still have blackish hair, mostly gray, I weigh a little bit more than 165 pounds, and I don't have a lot of energy yet, but I'm still plugging. Thank the Lord for it. Appreciate the prayers of folk over these years. Uh, I am grateful to God for His blessings upon my life, and I trust on yours. I was watching one of the sermons of midweek Bible study of me speaking this past week or two, and I thought, well, boy, how can folks hear that? It sounds so weak. It sounds so... Uh, whispery in my own ears and that may not be true in your ears it is in mine sometimes I feel like I'm not projecting loud enough to get the message out but it's not in the projection it's in the power of God upon the ministry and I certainly need your prayers and your your help it means a lot so much but I want to talk today on a subject about well let me read the scriptures first and then I'll announce the subject Isaiah chapter 6 let's stand together for the reading of the word of God Isaiah chapter 6 This is Isaiah seeing the Lord, seeing the king high lifted up. In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that was crying, that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, thine iniquities is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go before us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see indeed, but perceive not. Then in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 2. I read these verses 52 years ago when I preached my first sermon on a Sunday morning. I read Isaiah 6, I read Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, 
they were with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. Father, need grace, need help. I pray you give me the unction of the Holy Ghost of God just a few moments. May I be able to say that which needs to be said and leave unsaid that which does not need to be unsaid or not need to be said. May you give me that which I need from heaven. I need your help today. Thank you so much for the privilege to be able to stand and to preach after these many, many years in the ministry. The years have come and gone since an 18-year-old boy out of the mountains of West Virginia. The mountains, the, the, the future is bright because of God, the King, the great King of heaven. And we look at the leaders of our days, and there's some good, some bad, but our eyes always got to go above the kings of this world and the presidents of this world and see the King of glory who's on the throne. He has not vacated. He has not abdicated his throne to anybody else. He is the King of glory. It won't be long, Lord, until that King is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God will sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. May we see the King of glory today. More important than any man, more important than anything, is see Jesus and Him glorified. Isaiah saw the King of glory. May we see the King of glory today. And may we realize, Lord, we need supernatural power to live the Christian life. And so we're glad for Acts chapter 2 in the Word of God. That memorable day in history called the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost of God came to dwell inside our believers. I pray, God, you'll make application to our lives today by the help of the good Lord. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. May be seated. Back in my younger days in preaching this sermon, I called it how to fire the preacher and uh, subtitle is how to have revival how can you help the preacher I'm going to ask you the question today and then I'm going to try to answer it with the help of the Lord I need this message as much as you need it but I want you to listen very carefully today I love preachers I've been around preachers all my life As a matter of fact my daddy was a preacher he started when he was 13 years of age I ordained or licensed to the ministry when he was 16 for a long time I carried a picture of my dad in front of my Bible I haven't and one of my older Bibles now. Dad died at age 57 into glory now. But I was raised in the preacher's home. I have four uncles that are in the ministry, two on mom's side, two on dad's side, one of those which is Eustace Riggs. I answered a call to preach in Louisiana, Kentucky, under his ministry many years ago. I have four cousins that are preachers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have uh, a brother, Roger, in West Virginia, who is a preacher. I have nephew, Scott, who'll be with us in September, November this year. The Lord willing to preach for us one whole day. Looking forward to that. I have many close friends. I have 100 preachers on a prayer journal that I pray for regularly, not every day that I pray for all of those. But simultaneously, I'll go through that list periodically and think about those 100 preachers. Most, many of those have touched my life in one way or the other. I don't want to ever take for granted the fact that God places people in our past. I just want to say... I love preachers, but I don't have no use for a pussy-footing, back-scratching, ear-tickling preacher. I don't have much use for a man who compromises and dips his cell 
in these days, and I want to be one of those that does not dip his sail. I don't want you to dip your sail. But it's easy sometimes to, as you go along, to sort of find yourself in a compromising mode. Uh, many of the preachers I started out with many years ago who believed as I did, and as I believed as they did, many of those are not in the ministry today, still living but not in the ministry. Some of those have turned away from the old-time religion to something newfangled, something new on their calendar that they thought would be more effective. And by the way, you can draw the crowds, but the crowds is not the solution. You know, you can have the biggest crowd in all the world. I was reading one of the great old-time preachers. He says it's better to have 50 people who love God than 400 to just come for show. It's better to be on fire for God than just go through the motions and, the, and do something out of routine. And we need the crowds. nothing wrong with 400 people. I'd like to see every one of these pews filled. I think they'll seat about, uh, with the balcony, we could seat 587 in this building, about 250 or 300 on the ground level. And uh, I don't like empty pews. I hope you don't like them either. But the fact is, we'd like to fill them with people who get saved, love Jesus, want to be faithful to God, make all the difference in the world. I think the problems in this country could be solved with God's method. And God's method is preaching. God's method is preaching. You know, I love to preach, and sometimes I don't feel like preaching, but I want to preach because it gives me an extra incentive to keep preaching. I would like to go out if I'm preaching. One of these days, I'd like to do this. If the Lord would let me, I'd like to be doing this. And God calls me out of this world. Now, you say you fall flat on your face and hurt yourself. No, I'll fall flat in the arms of Jesus Christ and rise to cease the everlasting prize. I'll go up. I won't go down. I, my body would hit that, hit that block or hit that carpet. It's not too soft. I've fallen a few times right here. How many of you remember when I was a young man when I could run around this building? Anybody here? Fred? If you, if you, I, I used to take off running. I'd take off right over there and run a lap or two all the way around this building preaching. And uh, I could be able to jump pews. If I wanted to, I could stand on top of a pew and preach. I could slide down this banister with no problems. Now if I slide down this handrail, I'd get splinters in my suit and probably get about halfway over and break my neck and Tommy Butch over would give me mouth-to-mouth uh, resuscitation. Then I'd really die. I'd have liver disease coming. But I remember those days, and I'm grateful for the energy God gave me in the past. And he made renew that hope before long and give me one more shot at it. With the help of the good Lord, I get a call several times. Somebody said, "Call me." They said, "Preacher, I heard a rumor uh, that you was resigning and retiring." I guess is the word they ask. I get that a lot of times. When are you going to retire? You get around people say, "How old are you?" I say, "Well, seventy-seven." When are you going to retire? Well, I'd rather not retire, just refire for a little while longer. I'm not in the in the mood right now to retire. Now you may want to fire me. That's fine. I'll get my uh, shuffleboard and go to Florida and play shuffleboard the rest of my life. We've been about a long time together, and Fred and I was talking about a while ago, and sometimes we make references to old people that usually bring up Fred Tyner's name or mine. He said, why is that? Why do they bring up our names when they talk about old people? Well, number one, they're jealous. Number two, they can't be as good looking as we are at the age we're at. And sometimes you've got to look twice to be sure that you, you know, got the looks we got. But we're getting older, and the old flesh is wearing out. It won't be long until the voice will be silent. It won't be long until the last sermon I'll preach, or the last service you'll attend, or the last sermon you may preach, or the last lesson you may teach, the last song you may sing. There's coming a day when it's all going to end for us in this life. If Jesus' church is coming, we will go through the seasons of time. 
And so I believe God's method still works. I believe in preaching. I love preaching. Somebody said preaching is teaching with a tear in its eye. Say, how do you define teaching and preaching? Well, teaching is telling and preaching is yelling. And that's what preachers do sometimes. They get to yell a little bit. Not necessarily, but it could be. And so, but having that tear in your eye, I remember hearing Dr. Rice talk about Jack Hiles years ago when he was a young preacher. He said, you look real close, you always see a tear in the corner of his eye. I don't know if I've always had that or not, but I'd like to have compassion. God had to take me down several roads over these years to teach me some valuable lessons about compassion. And I'm grateful that he has. I'm not all that I ought to be, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I trust I can get better and better and gooder and gooder and sweeter and sweeter as the year goes by. But we need some old-fashioned hellfire, brimstone, hell-raising, sin-fighting, Christ-honoring, soul-winning, evangelistic Bible preaching. If we don't get that in America, we're gone. I'm not talking about just yelling and screaming. I'm talking about old-fashioned biblical preaching. There's no Pentecostal preacher who got his tongue all tangled up, trying to talk, got his tongue all tangled up, with his tongue all tangled up. A Pentecostal preacher got his tongue all tangled up. <laughs> Instead of saying, God called me to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out the devil, he said, God has called me to heal the dead, cast out the sick, and raise the devil. Maybe we need to raise a little bit of devil around here, amen? And let's make the devil mad and make God glad and be good if old-fashioned preaching could do that again. Just listening to preaching. Well, preacher, I get tired of listening to preaching. This is the answer from the guys who are God-called and God has sent around the world to preach the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was what happened on the day of Pentecost. I'll get back to it later, if not today, at another time. I'm no, no perfect preachers, especially the one who's standing before you tonight, today. None. I realize my frailty. I realize many, many mistakes over the years I've made as your pastor in 52 years. There's been some poor judgments I've made, honest, honestly. Uh, I can recognize those looking back in history, and I realize that. But I determined one thing that is always true in my life, and I may not be the best preacher in the world, may never be the best preacher, don't claim to be the best preacher, but my motive is sincere. I may not always do it the way you think I ought to do it. I may not always do it the way others think it should be done. And maybe you may find yourself, you want to be critical, that's fine. Just get in line if you want to. And you find yourself getting critical of the preachers that come sometime. Every preacher has a different style. I was talking the other day, Jonathan Edwards read his sermons. I mean, he read them with bifocal glasses. But he had the anointing of God on his life. I want that anointing. Not the anointing of Jonathan Edwards, the anointing of God upon my life. I heard Dr. Vance Havner preach at Northside Baptist Church in the 70s. One of the greatest preachers probably in America was Dr. Vance Havner. I got every book he ever wrote. I'd recommend you buying his library. You'd be some wonderful little preacher, little sermons in those books. And they're great. And uh, I heard him preach. And Dr. Havner got up. He opened up his manuscript. He said, and the Bible says. And then for the next 45 minutes, he read everything he had, just turning leaf after leaf after leaf. But he had truth. He was proclaiming, and the Bible was verified and exemplified and glorified in his preaching, and I'm grateful for hearing some great preachers over the years. But there's no perfect preachers, and my motive has been and sincere and honest to have the right attitude I hope I have. I want to express my love to you for 52 years, being able to call me preacher, call me pastor, and I appreciate that so much, and uh, the love for you, and the share of the burdens over the years, and my heart relates to the purpose and the plans and the programs of our church. Somebody says, Preacher, how can I help you? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look in the Word of God, Book of Acts, Chapter 2. 
The first thing about the day of Pentecost that was prophesied and predicted by the Lord Jesus before he went back to heaven. I got a problem up here with the pale mic. My pants are too big for me. Now, that's not a joke. I, uh, that's another story. <laughs> it would be a humorous story, but I'm not going to tell it right now. I'll tell it, I'll tell it tonight. Come back tonight, and I promise you I'll tell it. But anyhow, the lapel mark just fell, the, fell out on the floor. I guess you heard it. Now, I'm going back to the book of Acts chapter 2. Jesus had prophesied to go in Jerusalem and tarry there until being due with power and stay there praying, seeking the face of God. And they went there, and the Bible says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord. So the first thing I want to say this morning is this. Uh, they were all together in prayer. In one prayer, they had one accord in prayer. Look at verse 14 of chapter 1. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, the Mary, Mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of the names together were about 120. 120 folk gathered in the upper room that day, and they'd been praying for 10 days, waiting upon the promise that Jesus had given. And when the day was fully come, they were all with one accord. And here they are gathered together. Here's the reality and the fact. They were there in one accord. Stand up for the gospel. Stand up for the truth. Stand up for any preacher across the country who's preaching truth. And uh, I want to be a good pastor. I want to be a good overseer. I want to be a good provider, a good protector, and a good leader. But thank God for standing with you, preacher, over these years for preaching the Word of God. I believe what the Bible says, I hope you do too, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Let's turn there, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Stand up for the preaching of the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, unto all good works. Stand up for the man of God who preaches the word of God. And you take statistics around the world and you'll find that there's very few folks who believe the Bible is the word of God. I hear this sometimes. Somebody says, well, the Bible contains the word of God. It does not only contain the word of God, it is the word of God. And the, the word all says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God, upon the holy scriptures, I believe the entirety of the book about the Bible we have of the 66 books have been marvelously marvelously uh, provided and preserved by God Almighty. And we have them here today in our midst. And I'm glad for the Bible that we have. And we try to stand up for that. When friends sometimes forsake it, when sometimes they criticize you for staying with the old King James, and sometimes they wonder where you're good and your old fuddy-duddy, you've got to catch up with it. I don't need five versions to understand the Word of God. Amen. And when I start reading five versions, I get all confused about who's right and who's wrong. And as was in Sunday school class this morning, passages are taken out of some of the Bibles. They're removed or words are changed and you'll find all through the all every perversion there's changes in the word of God. Just stick with the book. Amen. If I could leave one message, don't don't get away from it. Stay with it. If the next pastor comes into your church, a pastor of this church you don't believe the King James Bible, I would say the deacons need to pick him up, take him out and put him on the street. Amen. He needs to preach the word of God. Amen. Because life and death is at stake, heaven and hell is at stake, people's lives are at stake, and how what the effect of the eternity may be determined through the preaching of the Word of God. 
So stand up for the old time religion, stand up for the word of God, because it's the right doctrine. In the book of Acts chapter 2, go back there please. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And they, that's the disciples, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine that had been handed down to them in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. One accord in prayer, one accord in prayer, one accord in prayer, one accord in prayer. They were in one accord, and on the day of Pentecost, that fully come, they were there, gathered together, 120 of them, in the upper room, and the Bible says they were in one accord. And just that reference while ago in verse 14, accord in prayer and supplications. They were spending their time praying, waiting upon the Lord to see what God wanted to do. And so I believe the doctrine of the Word of God, not only inspiration, but indoctrination, I believe part of the ministry is to indoctrinate folks with the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God. They don't need a, they don't need a little a salad. They need a, a full meal. They need the Word of God be preached. I believe the creation of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I believe it more today than I ever believed before in my life. I believe in every miracle that's in the Bible. Somebody said, do you really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale? I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Somebody said, don't you know that it is scientifically impossible uh, for a man to go through the throat of a whale? Well, they've proven that false later. They have found people who were swallowed whole by whales. But if God wanted to make a whale, he could make one of the little, little wider esophagus. I mean, it could swallow. If, if the Bible says that the whale swallowed Jonah, that's what the Bible says. If it says that Jonah swallowed the whale, we just believe that too. Just believe what the Word of God says. Every, every scripture is inspired of God. Just You said, I don't understand it. My job is not to understand everything. My job is just to believe it. And I stand on the promises, not explanations. If I had to explain to you everything, I'd be an idiot because I, by the time I got through, I can't explain how things happen, how things are. I can't explain God. If I could explain God, I'd be God. So therefore, I've got to just trust God, believe God with all of my heart. And I believe that the miracles of all the miracles that are given to us throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's a, this is a miracle book. I mean, they happen all the time. And the greatest miracle of all was when God saves your soul. I mean, it took a miracle for God to put the stars in the heavens and the sun by day and the moon by night. But the greatest miracle of all is when God reaches down and saves an old wretched sinner who's doomed and dying on his way to hell. And the love of God reaches farther down than they could reach up. And they take that frail hand of faith and reach up to God. And God comes into their life to live forever. That's a miracle that's un- is a miracle of miracles, a miracle of miracles that should be repeated and restated over and over again. It is the greatest miracle of all outside of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is to rest resurrect an old sinner who was quickened in sin and was dead in sin and quickened and made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit and salvation makes all the difference and they were in one accord praying seeking the face of God to know what to do what are we going to do Jesus had died Jesus had risen from the dead and now they had the great commission given to them in chapter 1. But ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. They heard that. The great commission. They had chosen somebody to replace Judas because he had committed suicide and was no longer able to be in the apostles because of his sins and because of his wickedness. They chose Matthias to take up the spot of Judas. Now they have 12 men plus the women that were there plus the other folks, the disciples that were there, they come to 120 that were gathered together to pray for the power of God to come, waiting upon that power, waiting upon that power, waiting upon that power. I believe in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without it, there is no salvation. I believe he was immaculately born by, he was born in the, from the womb of Mary, a young lady, and she was a virgin, 
And some scriptures take it out and call her a young woman. There's a difference between a young woman and a virgin in the Bible. And in, 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 our, in our common vernacular speaking, a person can be a young lady but not a virgin. But if she's a virgin, she's never been with man. And Mary had never been with a man. But God, the Holy Ghost of God, came down to her swoon. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the seed, was placed into her womb that He would be able to come forth just about nine months later as the babe of Bethlehem, the glorious Son of God. And there was no blood contamination. There was no blood from the man. There was no depraved nature. It was pure blood. It was precious blood. It was the wonderful blood of the Son of God. And I believe today every drop of that blood that was shed from the body of Jesus Christ was picked up and taken to the mercy seat in heaven and placed on the mercy seat there. And I may be wrong on that, but I've been wrong on some other things, but I think I'm right on it. Because it's pre- there's no blood like it in all the world. It is precious blood. Precious blood. What can cleanse my soul? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And in Him alone can we be saved and sanctified and set apart for the Master's use. and makes a difference in all the world. I believe hell's hot and heaven's sweet. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want anybody to go to hell. If you're on your way to hell today, I'm glad I can tell you heaven's sweet. It gets sweeter as the years go by. It's getting sweeter and sweeter as some of us in this room. It's going to be a sweet celebration when we make our way through the pearly gates someday. I believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ as I alluded to a while ago. I do believe God answers prayer. They were together to pray. They were in one accord. Well, preacher, how can I help? Well, remember when Moses was in a battle with the Amalekites, I want you to notice in Exodus chapter 17, they just had a miracle performed when Moses smiting the rock and water came out miraculously. I mean, they were thirsty and they were complaining and they were griping and they were fussing at Moses. And God told Moses, smite the rock. And when he smote the rock, the water gushed out of there and the people were refreshed with the water that they had been given miraculously. And then a little phrase in the Bible that sometimes we overlook, it says this, and then came the Amalekites. And then came the Amalekites. You find that several times in the history of Israel. Things are going good. Miracle just happened. People rejoicing, having the wonderful refreshing of the physical water, enjoying the greatness of God, and that God could do this right in the wilderness. And then the Bible says, and then come the Amalekites. Amalekites stands for the enemy, satanic host of hell. And then came the enemy. And then the enemy began to attack the Israelites down the valley. Joshua goes down to fight the great captain of the Israelite people who later became the successor to Moses. Joshua goes down to fight and lead the battle. And Moses said, I'm going to go up to the top of the mountain and I'll have the rod in my hand. The rod speaks of the authority of God's word. He says, I'm going to hold up the rod. The victory is going to be won over the Amalekites. How? By the authority of God's word. As long as I can hold up the rod, you keep fighting. You keep fighting. And then Moses, the man of God, got tired. He got weak. His arms got weak. His knees got weak. He went down. I'm glad there's two men there. Aaron and her were sent along. Aaron got on one side and her got on the other and held up Moses' hands. I want to publicly thank every man, every woman who's ever held up the preacher's hands. You don't know what that means to a preacher. I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm not looking for you know somebody to say, well, a poor preacher having a rough time. I'm glad for the battle. I'm glad God called me to do it. And my authority is the Word of God. Sometimes just having holy men to hold you up means a whole lot. Willie alluded to it last night in the prayer meeting. And I'm grateful over the years, there's been folks who've held up preachers' hands. And sometimes you may not understand this, and I'm not, again, trying to say this for the wrong reason. Preachers are attacked a little differently than most people in church. 
As a matter of fact, he probably suffers more attack than most people in the church. That's not a, not a braggadocious statement. It's just because of the territory you're in. Because if you get the pastor to fall, if you get the pastor to fail, he's already done great harm in the community. He's done great harm in the church and caused great havoc to come to sometimes to people's lives. But helping the preacher stay in the battle. And that's You say, preacher, you ought to depend on God. I depend on God. So did Moses. But he sure had two other guys that are helping him. Made all the difference in the world. So depend on God. Do all that you can do. And then God can do what you can't do. To do everything you can do for the cause of Christ. Makes a difference in this world. I'll tell you one thing that can help a preacher. Sometimes just somebody saying amen. amen. And you know sometimes it can really help a preacher when somebody just says amen. amen. It can really help a preacher sometimes when somebody just says amen. <laughs> and the loud mouths finally come out. And amen's not going to scare an old-fashioned preacher. Now, let me preach and don't interrupt me all the time. If you want to say amen occasionally, it's fine. If you want to say amen once in a while. Amen. Remember the preacher years ago we had here uh, in a conference? He'd go over to the wall and put his, ear, put his hand like this. He'd get he'd waiting on an amen. He'd go over there and waiting on the wall to shout. Nobody else going to shout. And we had a preacher one time. He ran from this pulpit, got on the front pew. And uh, he was the, doing the preaching. He sat there and said, Amen, preacher. And he came back up here and thank you very much. <laughs> Nobody else was amen to the preacher. If you just want to nod your head, that's fine too. We can hear it rattle. But sometimes just a fresh amen from heaven. I don't want a dead church. I don't want us to be a sedate. I don't want us to be where we find ourselves getting used to the dark. If you want to have a dead service, just get you a funeral director. Become a funeral director. And just get you a few bodies and take you out the cemetery. That, that's good enough. But if you want to go to church, and I put in my notes, and I just, I'm going to echo it, so you just say amen. When I, you don't even have to wait. You can say, say amen right now. Amen. Because what I'm going to say is true. He, the Son of God, is alive. Amen. He is alive. He spent three days in the heart of the earth and burst the citadels of death, hell, and the grave and rose victoriously over all of our enemies. He is alive. He is alive. He is alive. He is alive. And He's always going to be alive. But we sometimes just feel almost dead, don't we? You see, we need a good prayer meeting of our soul. We need a good fellowship with the God of heaven. And when they're going to have one of the greatest prayer meetings in the world, is when the Holy Ghost of God that always showed up on the outside is coming to dwell on the inside on the day of Pentecost when it's fully come. So stand with the preacher. What he stands for, if it's true, stand with him. Supplication is important. Brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. It's what Paul said when he wrote the folks at Thessalonica of chapter 5, verse 25. He wrote to the Ephesian letter, chapter 6, verse 18, praying always with prayer and supplication. Praying Supplication, intensify your prayers with supplication. It's a great blessing to hear folks pray for other folks and call them by name. How many folks over these years that I've been pastor of our church and been preaching, I've had folks say, Preacher, I'm praying for you. I probably hear it a dozen times a week at least from somebody, maybe more. And I'll be honest with you, I never take that lightly. I'm glad somebody prayed for me. Brother Roy wanted somebody to pray with his, about somebody in his family out in the hall. And we knelt there in the hall, not bowed our heads in the hall a while ago, and I had a brief prayer. I think her name was Brenda. God bless Brenda and her needs and her life and touch her body. I don't know her well. don't know who she may be, but Roy does. At least we can pray. There's nothing wrong with that. Church ought to be a house of prayer. It'd be time to pray. 
I said before several months ago, it'd be good periodically through our church. If anybody shares a prayer request, just pray for them right then. I've seen folks do that. Just pray for them right now. You don't have to preach long and loud. You don't have to be trying to be seen. Just say, let's pray. Because I guarantee you, when, when 20 people ask you to pray for them, you're going to forget some of them before you get home. You can't remember all their names. Sometimes you pray a prayer like this, Lord bless all those people that ask me to pray for them. I can't remember who they are, but you know. But what's even better is if you call their name immediately. Or if you can go to some place and sit down and write their name down, Lord, they ask us to pray. We take prayer sort of flippantly. Pray for me. Oh, I'm going to pray for you. And then we never do it. Would you call that lying? If I say I'm going to pray for you, should I not pray for you? If, if, I, if I tell you I'm going to pray for you, should I not pray for you? And you should not pray for me if you tell me so. It would be good to have prayer because prayer is important. And the Bible tells us lifting up holy hands in prayer in the book of First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So what is the, what is the answer to helping the preacher stay on fire is to be one, in one accord or be in one prayer attitude. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says. There's two churches in the Bible that are examples. There's several of them been written to. The epistles were written to churches, Galatia, Church of Galatia, Colossae, Philippines, the Philippians, uh, Rome, Paul, Romans, and uh, well, there's a bunch of them in there. But all those were written to churches, most of them. But two churches set out as prime examples. One, what not to do, and the other is what to do. There was a church at Corinth, which was a worldly church. It was a fleshly church. And how many times did Paul rebuke them in the writings of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians? He talked about great doctors, but he also said we are laborers together because there was schisms and division. There needs to be unity in the body of Christ. There needs to be unity to have power with God and power with others. There needs to be on the same page that we love each other, we love God. We may not always agree on everything, but we ought to definitely agree on the major things. And we ought to put our hearts together and say, by the grace of God, I want to pray for each other. I want to love each other. And one of the best things in the world is love your enemies, is love people that don't love you. You say, I can't love them. Well, God said to. We said, well, I don't like it. I'll take it up with God. God told us to love our enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you and say, all men are even against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. And there ought to be a time in our life when we come to the place where we want to be unified. He said, pray for unity, that we may be one. It ought to always be the case that we ought to be on fire for God. But we ought to pray for unity. And the church of Corinth was a very wicked church that needed to have some repentance take place. They were getting drunk at communion time. They were making a party out of it instead of a symbolic action when they took communion. They were guilty of condoning sin in the church. And they had to deal with that serious sin. They had to be dealt with their immorality. And they had to deal with that situation. And we always deal with situations as we go along through, through life. We all face situations. But the church needs to be unified that we're doing what's right, doing our very best for the cause of Christ. The church that's a good example of what the church ought to be is the church of Philippi, the Philippian letter. It's full of joy. Paul said, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And he talks about Peter did joy unspeakable and full of glory. If there's one church that's a good example is the church of Philippi. They had a lot of joy, a lot of joy. It takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown. And there ought to be something on the inside that's different. It's different now since Jesus made me whole. No, sometimes because of our physical, we can't already smile all the time. We try to. And you go through physical pains and problems and heartaches. Sometimes you've got to cry. And remember, tears are a language God understands. But through those tears, 
there always comes a joy. He says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Is that true? Well, if that's true, then we've got some great anticipation to know joy is coming. Joy is coming. It's joy unspeakable and full of it's describing. It's beyond our comprehension. So if I was going to be a, uh, have a church to follow after, it'd be the writings of Paul to the church of Philippi. But I learned a great lesson in the book of Corinth of how they had to deal with things and how they got right with God. And it's one of the great books, two books of the Bible, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So be in one accord in prayer life. And by God's grace, may we stay together these days as we anticipate tomorrow, as we anticipate the future, as we anticipate a revival, as we anticipate uh, the fall years if Jesus tears is coming, uh, what may be around the corner the rest of August and September and, and uh, October and November and December and 2024 and all the things that's going to transpire if Jesus tears is coming. I said last week, I don't think it may be that long. I'm not a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I believe we're going to be in heaven before long. I believe the, the Lord Jesus is about to come and we need to be unified together in the doctrine and say, by God's grace, I want to be in one accord, in one prayer. Number two, and I'll not give it today, be in one place. And then number three, be in one purpose. They're all found in the context of Acts chapter two. I may, I may be reminded of them again, remind you of them again, because they all fit together to help the preacher, to help the preacher stay on fire. Be in one accord in prayer be in one place, and I'll talk about that, and be in one purpose. What's that place and what's the purpose? And let's see what God has to say about that. I close with Herschel Ford. Herschel Ford's an old preacher who's dead in glory. He had 20 sermons on simple sermons from the Word of God. And I have a number of those that I gave away, but I've had them for years. Herschel Ford, he said, Coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success. Because when something starts, the devil likes to do havoc to it. We start something, we go into something, we start unified. And after careful or not careful, we'll find ourselves waning by the wayside. We can lose our zest, we can lose our zeal, we lose our enthusiasm for God. And nobody's immune in this room, nobody. The devil attacks on all kinds of fronts. He attacks in every weapon that he's got in his arsenal. And if one don't work on you, he'll do something else. The greatest weapon probably that the devil uses in many people's lives sort of go hand in hand with depression. It's called discouragement. I believe it's sort of like symbolizing I'm through. It's like an angel on one side and the devil on the other side of your shoulder. You're going through the battle of your life and the devil says you're discouraged. You're discouraged. And the Lord and the Lord's talking over, no, you're going to make it. Everything's all right. You be encouraged. You be encouraged. And this was his discouraging. Just says discouraged. This isn't you're going to be depressed. See, that's myth. That's, that's battle in the mind. Our battles are one on one right here at fault, right here. And what let a man let a man as he thinks, let a man think the thoughts of God, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. I don't think Christ Jesus got depressed because the Bible says he endured because of the joy set before him. So when Jesus was arrested in the garden and they bound him, took him over for trial several times that night eventually beating him to a pulp, eventually beating him to probably be on comprehension. Most folks had already died. Most people would have died at the whipping post with 39 stripes. But Jesus kept enduring. When he picked up the old rugged cross, some say it weighed about 250 pounds. I do not know if that's true or not. He might have made it because he was a carpenter along with his stepdaddy. He might have made the very cross he was. He did, really. He made everything. So he made the tree that the cross was cut from. 
And they took that old rugged cross, which was a form of execution, and placed it on his back. His back was bleeding and bruised, and his head had been beaten to a pulp. Some said he couldn't recognize it was a human being. His eyes were swollen, the plucking of the beard pulled by the hunks. His face was raw meat. Blood and tears mingled together on the face of the Lord Jesus. And they said, pick up your cross. And the Lord Jesus picked up that old rugged cross going down what is called the Via Della Rosa, the street in Jerusalem called the Way. Drop by drop, the blood fell from his head to his shoulders to his body. It fell from his shoulders to his body. It fell from his body to his legs and from his legs to his feet. Eventually, every drop of blood was falling somewhere along the way on the cobble street uh, on his body, maybe on other folks as they got close to him. It spittered and spattered. The blood was everywhere, a gory-looking mess. And Jesus had that cross, and there he goes. His, his back was humped over. His head was down low. It was not a smile, but the Bible says he endured it for the joy that was set before him. What is the joy set before him? It's you, and it's me. And when the Lord was going up Calvary, got to Mount Calvary, they compelled one Simeon of Cyrene to help carry the cross. And I think he got on the other end. Some think he carried it totally. I do not think so. I think the Lord bore the big end, and Simon bore the little end. And I think he got on the end of that cross. He gave some leverage to it. And they together. And Jesus took the cross up to Calvary. They laid that cross down on the hill. And Jesus Christ went over and stretched himself out. No man takes my life from me. I give it freely. And voluntarily he stretched his arms out. They put the nails in his hands and nailed his feet. And they raised that old rugged cross up, dropped it in a hole with a thud. And the flesh tore and the rest of the blood started oozing from his body. And there it comes. Down from his head. Down his body. His whole torso covered in blood, black and blue, bruised and battered. Couldn't recognize him as a human being. But I believe he could look cross, look real close at the cross. I think in my imagination, let me do this and I'm through. In my imagination, as he looked down through the quarters of time, took every man's sin in his own body, one little glimpse, he might have went, Because we were on his mind, Judy. We was on his mind. We were on his mind. Will you take up your cross and follow him as Simon of Serene was compelled to do? But I think he did it willingly also. I think he became a convert later on to the cause of Christ. He was close. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. How can you help the preacher? Be one accord in prayer and unity. By the grace of God, let's go forward into the days ahead. Let's stand together, please. Whatever the need, it may be for salvation, it may be for rededication, it may be for just the fact you need to get baptized or follow the Lord in baptism. It may be you like to unite with the church and become a member of the church. But whatever the need is, you come, you can sit, you can pray, you can kneel. God bless those that are coming. If you need to come, you come. Let the Holy Ghost of God speak to you. He filled them that day on the day of Pentecost, and they were in one accord. One accord in the upper room. What power comes from that?
Anybody here that you're having trouble with? Anybody here that needs to be gone to? Maybe somebody in the church you don't have the reconciliation took place. Sometimes folks just get right with God and right with each other. Anybody else? I'm going to sing a verse of invitation. If you need to come, you come. Somebody pray with you as we